So our second scripture lesson today will come from um, Mark's gospel. So hear now God's word for you today. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit and has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may all that we do and say in this day be well and good in your sight. Amen. Just sit right back in here until It meant it was still dark, and the air contained a hint of autumn, 
as Summer was beginning to give up her fight. As my body and mind slowly emerged from its dormant state, stiffness of limbs and slowness of thought, I began to notice a sense of unease form in the depths of my stomach as my mind began to process the agenda for the day ahead. In spite of the hour, it did not take long for my mind to tell my body that it was time to get nervous. I made my way across the darkened parking lot to the main building of the motel, passing a couple of other guests along the way, wondering to myself if they were facing the same fate as I this day. I climbed the steps to their porch where a large pot of coffee had been prepared and set out for the guests. Nervousness typically will not keep me from my morning coffee, and I held out hope that the warm, caffeinated liquid would offer some sense of comfort. The dock was only a stone's throw away from where the motel, from the motel, where the silhouette of the boat, the Isle of Royal Queen, bobbed in the water of the harbor of Lake Superior. I walked to the edge of the dock and gazed across the harbor to the spectacular sunrise in the east, blazing forth in all its red and crimson glory. While sipping on my coffee and enjoying God's handiwork, I desperately tried to ignore the refrain running through my mind, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Now would be a really good time to know whether or not there was scientific fact behind this old mariner saying, I thought to myself. The dock slowly began to fill up with people as the sky slowly brightened behind a layer of clouds. Deckhands were busy loading luggage, everything from suitcases to backcountry backpacks and fishing poles, onto the top deck, and soon it looked as if it was time to depart. This was my cue to reach into my pocket and pull out my awaiting pill of Dramamine, Drowning it with a slug of my coffee, expecting the warm liquid to help dissolve the drug so that it would begin to quickly work its magic. Much to my surprise, one of the deckhands who was loading luggage was actually the boat's captain. He climbed down from his perch from the top of the boat and took off his jacket, revealing his captain's shirt complete with captain's stripes on his shoulders. He walked over to the edge of the gathered crowd of passengers and he began to speak. He introduced himself as Captain John Kilpola, one of three brothers who shared the captain's duties of the Isle Royal Queen. Captain John was cheerful as he shared a brief history of his family and their decades-long ownership of the ferry service. And then he became very matter-of-fact. Today is going to be a very rough crossing, he said. The winds are up on the lake, but I can assure you, I will not put a single one of you in harm's way. But I know it's going to be pretty rough on you all. At that, one of my fellow passengers raised his hand and he said, I heard the ranger 
canceled their crossing for today. Wait, did that guy really just say what I thought he said, and was it true? With that comment, the unease in my stomach grew, and let me explain why. Essentially, there are three forms of public transportation to and from Isle Royale from Michigan. There is a seaplane service and two boats. One of the boats is the Isle Royale Queen, a 100-foot privately owned and operated by the Kilkala family upon which I was about to set foot. The other boat is the Ranger, owned and operated by the National Park Service. And at 165 feet, it is the largest moving asset of the entire United States National Park Service. For as long as it has been in existence, the Queen has lovingly been called the Barf Barge. <laughs> and remember, Lake Superior has the ability to eat freighters. You know, the legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchigumi. So when I hear the news that the 165-foot boat has chosen to cancel its crossing that day due to poor lake conditions, you can probably understand my sense of growing on now, I have a picture for you, Miss Laura, that I took from Isle Royale. The big blue boat is the Ranger. If you can see that little white one behind the Ranger, that is the Queen. <laughs> and there is not a lot of distance between them. I understand the Queen is a little bit in the fort in the background, but not by all that much. Thank you. Much to my dismay, Captain John confirmed that yes, indeed, the ranger would not be making the crossing to Isle Royale that day. But, he said with confidence, again, I can assure you, your safety is my top priority. I've been doing this for 21 years, I know these waters, and I know this boat, and I believe it to be one of the most seaworthy ships on this lake. You can trust me, and my crew. And with that, he opened the door to the boat and welcomed us all aboard. Well, all right then, I thought to myself, this guy knows what he's doing. So the concern of meeting a similar fate as that of the Edmund Fitzgerald faded away, yet the fear of seasickness still remained. And there was no amount of navigation skill and experience that was going to be able to prevent that. My friends and I loaded up and found, it, found a nice booth along the window inside the cabin. But as we were pulling away from the dock, I made my way out onto the stern and cozied up in the back port corner of the railing. My friend Mark, with whom I was traveling, knew my concerns of getting seasick so he gave me the pointer of keeping my eye on the horizon. So the back corner was a perfect spot that allowed me to do just that. The water was definitely a little choppy in the harbor, but as the queen made its way past the Copper Harbor Lighthouse, that narrative quickly changed. The queen rocked side to side and up and down, and still my eye remained laser focused on that horizon. 
I was determined to do everything I possibly could to keep from getting sick. As the safety of Copper Harbor slipped further and further behind us, the waters became rougher and rougher. There were times as I gazed out to the horizon that I would see a mound or a peak, and I wondered if I was getting my first glimpses of Isle Royal, only to realize it was actually a very large wave disrupting the horizon line. <laughs> With certain waves, you could hear the whine of the engines as they tried to find purchase for control of the water of a giant wave as the water slipped away in a trough beneath the boat. Side to side and up and down, the queen rocked and rolled. Sometimes waves would hit the side of the boat so hard it almost seemed as if some mythical creature had just punched it in the bow, causing to violently lurch to the right or to the left. And other times, the queen would find herself climbing the side of the wave, forcing us all to grab something as we were tipping with great force. About a half an hour into the trip, a poor gentleman busted out of the main cabin door and ran to the back of the ship to my right, making it just in time, confirming the queen's nickname. And he was not the last victim of the day. At first, I had not intended to stay at the back corner of the boat, but as the trip progressed, I realized there was no way I was going to move. Because by the grace of God, I never felt a moment of nausea. But I also was not about to try and impress my luck either. Every once in a while, I wondered if I was being rude, planting myself right there in the corner of the stern, effectively disallowing any other passengers the privilege of my view. But honestly, I just didn't care. So unchristian, I know. What should have been a three-hour trip from Copper Harbor to Isle Royal National Park turned into a four-hour adventure. And I stayed standing in one spot. Other than those times that I stumbled from large waves, I stayed there four hours straight. Once we were finally safe in the Rock Harbor Channel of Isle Royal, Captain John came over the loudspeaker to address his passengers. Before giving us directions for disembarking, Captain John shared with us all that we just experienced the most difficult crossing of Lake Superior he has ever had in 21 years <laughs> About 45 minutes into the trip, he had considered turning back for Copper Harbor, but then realized it was much too dangerous to, to do so and safer to just keep going. We learned later in the week from a ranger that that day there were reports of swells 10 to 12 feet on Lake Superior. This was shocking news. Yes, it was a very rough trip. However, never once did I ever fear for my life or fear that I was in danger. I just figured this was another day in the office for Captain John. And you know why? Because I took him at his word and trusted him when he said that our safety was his top priority and that he knew exactly what he was doing. 
I simply trusted him. And now, in the weeks since I have been home from this adventure, I have been unable to shake this one thought. Why is it that I so easily and so readily put my faith in a man that I have never met and know nothing about, whose words brought me comfort and kept me from fear in a perilous situation? Yet I had many moments in my life where I struggled to put that same faith and trust in God. Why do I not take Jesus at his word when he says he loves me? Why do I not take Jesus at his word when he says, Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Why do I not take it to heart when Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow? And why do I not take Jesus at his word when he says, do not fear? So as I have been wrestling with this and trying to come to terms with my own understanding of my faith and my personal trust in God, I swear I could hear Jesus saying to me, Cato! That's how I address myself to myself, so that's how Jesus addresses me. Cato, what more do I have to do for you to believe and trust you? A similar sentiment was echoed by Jesus in the passage that I read earlier from Mark's Gospel. If you'll remember, a boy with an evil spirit was brought to Jesus after his disciples attempted to heal him, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation! Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? I can hear the frustration in Jesus' voice, and I can sense his exasperation, both with me and in this passage as he addresses his disciples. You see, Jesus knows that his time is running short when it comes to his earthly ministry, and he is doing everything in his power to not only share the good news of the kingdom of God, but to also equip and believe into his disciples an understanding of their own abilities and power so that they are ready to someday carry on his ministry in his stead. And it seems like no matter what he says or what he does, he is getting nowhere with them. It doesn't seem to be sinking in with them, even though they have seen him walk on water and feed thousands with the boys' lunch and heal people left and right. And the same holds true for us, does it not? Time and time again, Jesus has proven that he can be trusted. He has proven that he is worthy. He continues to perform miracles upon miracles, wonders upon wonders, blessings upon blessings in all of our lives, yet we still cannot seem to trust his words and believe that he is who he says he is. We still cannot seem to believe that he can be trusted with the whole of our lives, our anxieties, our fears, our futures. Simply put, we fear because we do not trust. So this is where we need to take a cue from the boy's father when he says, I believe Help my unbelief. Where do each of us in our lives need to cry out these words to God? Where in our lives do we need to humble ourselves and admit our weaknesses and simply say, 
Jesus, I believe, but I still need you to help my unbelief. And I understand it's hard. We don't have the luxury of having Jesus physically present before us, doing all of these amazing things right before our eyes like he did with the disciples and the boy's father. It was tough for them, so it's understandable that it's even harder for us. Yet complete trust is possible. I believe this to be true. Never once, never once did I have the slightest concern for my life as I crossed the rough waters of Lake Superior because I trusted the captain and his crew. And apparently I had good reason to fear, yet I did not. And we have good reason to fear lots of things on a daily basis, but we don't have to. Hear these words again from the prophet Jeremiah. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots into the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. This is what a life lived in trust of God looks like. It's fearless and fruitful. So this brings me back to my earlier question that I had of myself. Why is it that I could place my faith and trust in a man that I had never met, yet struggle to put my faith and trust in the man who, to whom I had committed my life and claim to be his disciple? Think about it. Captain John did send me a formal invite to come and take a ride on his boat, yet God invited me to be a part of his kingdom and to sit at his banquet table. Captain John doesn't know me from Adam, yet the last Adam, Jesus Christ, knows my name and has it written on the palm of his hand. Captain John did nothing to earn my trust, but Jesus has earned my salvation. Because the antidote to, tr to fear is trust. And the definition of trust is Jesus Christ. Trust the captain of your life and trust his crew, which is your faith family. And surely, as you pass through the waters of life, whether on rough seas or easy sailing, you will have nothing to fear because you can be sure that God is with you. Trust in that, my friends. Amen. Um,